podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. In today's episode of the Canon Podcast, join us as we break down Martin Odegaard's new role, analyze the evolution of Takahiro Tomiyasu, discuss the potential signing of Joao Palinha, and debate if Arsenal have a better defense than Man City. Yes, guys, welcome back to the Canon Podcast. Today is just me and Alex. George, unfortunately, can't make it. But Alex, we have to break down a lovely victory against Wolves. Now, I know it was survival towards the end. It was a bit difficult. But we need to talk about the performance of the captain, Martin Odegaard. He's back, isn't he? A lovely goal. A goal in the midweek and in the Champions League as well. Dropping a little bit deeper. Talk to me about Martin Odegaard's slight adaption and almost new role under Mikel Arteta. Yeah, I think I think we've seen I've seen I think we've seen this coming for a little while. Um, I think towards the beginning of the season we saw Erdegaard flipping into a slightly different role, um, and it's taken some adjusting. I think I think sometimes when players move into a new role, we're not provided like a like an update as fans, are we? We're not <laughs> we're not like given like a a list in our programs going here's Martin Erdegaard's going to be slightly different. So we have to slightly maybe we should. That'll probably help a lot of the narratives around the, around the club. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, think, things don't get announced. So it, it takes time, especially when it's subtle. And I think we've seen from, you know, people who are interested in that kind of stuff in, in his heat maps and all that stuff that he is, he's slightly changing roles. And I think he's just getting used to it. I think, um, as George might put it, he's, he's getting more second phase, uh, sec, what do you say? Second phase central space or whatever. Um, second phase central space. Something like that. If you can't so, do his accent, then I don't think anyone can. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm struggling today. Um, but yeah, but you know, he's basically, he's being asked to do more things further down the pitch in in less technical terms, in terms of receiving off the first line, in terms of taking it. I mean, I think there's been some pitches going around of sort of Odegaard receiving it off the, the centre-backs and stuff a lot more commonly. Um, and yeah, it's, it's you know, I, I think it's exciting because I think Odegaard has the potential to do that. He's not someone who... I think when we signed him because of the, you know, the line through his name and we just, I think we signed him literally in the same window that Ozil left. There maybe felt like there was going to be, you know, that sort of uh, creative number 10, but that position doesn't, doesn't really exist in the same way as it did maybe five, 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, he, he, you know, he, he is an eight, he's a midfielder. So then a midfielder can be asked to do different things. Um, and I think people still maybe have that perception in their in their mind so yeah look it's a it's nice i think it gives him more space to work i think he progresses as well i think he's a very intelligent player so you want your intelligent players maybe constructing build up as well does it take away from his uh attacking potential and his ability to 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 make things happen in the final third probably but equally scored at the weekend and you know i think it's about it's about knowing when to be there when to arrive you know standing there waiting for something to happen isn't necessarily useful for such an intelligent player yeah, you have to ghost into space. And I forget, if anyone that's played football, you know, you know, we're all professional footballers when we're playing Sunday League. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's about that little bit of movement. Not, when we played in the Premier League, Babs, that was... that was uh, Those were yeah. the days. Those were the days. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, look, I think <laughs> that Odegaard goal, though, was very interesting, though. We, we're starting to call it now the Ozone. It's that space, edge of the box, arrival. Yep. We've seen it this year against Man United, last year against Chelsea, his first ever goal for Arsenal in the Premier League against Spurs. What do you think that means like, in terms of, is that just a specific Martin Odegaard goal where he is timed that like 10,000 times? Well, I think, it, yeah, it's it's a number of things. It's practice. It's the physical profile in terms of what he feels comfortable doing, shooting across his body on his left foot, which is makes it a, a right, you know, sort of that right, just just to the right of the, the D yeah. and forward into the box. Uh, it's about right. Look, also, it's intelligence. And, you know, the say, we can't disconnect the, the, those, those two things. He is able to drop deep and understand when to do that. Um, and uh, he's also able to arrive and, and know when to do that in the final third. And, and that's a kind of nebulous concept until you start going, okay, 
when when is the right time to arrive? Okay, it's looking at the situation. It's going my the wingers over there. That wing is there. Those defenders are doing that. Is he likely to beat him? Yes or no? And once he does beat them, how do I time my arrival? And there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of thinking, a lot of practice that goes into it. So it's not just a case of you know happen happening to be there. I think specifically on that Erdogan goal, that was such a coach's goal. You know, yeah. The, the, oh. There's a reason that Jesus knows exactly where Zinchenko is going. And there's a reason that Zinchenko can first time it straight into Erdegaard is because they've done that hundreds of times. In fact, last season, it was more common to see, you'd see the two in the pocket, the nine and the two wingers. So you always knew there was two in the pocket and someone at the back post, which is why you saw a lot of goals from Saka to Martinelli and Martinelli to Saka. It's not happening as much this season, but I think you, we still know that there is a shape when we arrive in the box. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is, is yeah, down to Erdegaard's intelligence. Yeah, I mean, Odegaard now has five goals and assists in the league this season. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about him not being that creator, as you said, like, like a Mesut Ozil, but we've kind of got that mm-hmm. on the right side with Bukayo Saka. And I think Odegaard's role is, you know, we see a lot of praise for Dominic Soboslai, who's, I think, got one mm-hmm. goal all season. And that's about it, mm-hmm. right? And he's a very good player. So I think it's about not just the goal and assist as to, for you to be a good player. And to be a number eight, I think what we're seeing is Odegaard play like an eight again and not more of a yep. number 10 that was in your secondary striker edge of the box trying to shoot he can still shoot but he's more of the player to get the ball get a feel of the ball make things happen yeah yeah look creation can can look many many different ways you know if you you go back to that those kind of first pep teams they were a lot about cutbacks in fact even even Arteta sort of 21 22 was a lot about getting the ball to the byline and getting it back into the box but it's different and you you have different spaces to work in when you realize okay here's our spaces we're getting space on the edge of the box now okay let's let's try some half space crosses you know this is this is what we've been talking about isn't it is um, some of my frustrations on uh with Arteta's comments I think on our last episode were there's never you may be blocked on, you, no team is able to block you doing everything. If they're sat in a low block, that means you've got some space on the edge of the box. If they're sat really high, that means you've got space in behind. If they're sat to the side, you know, there's always going to be spaces to exploit. It's just about how you use them and being willing to adapt and change. And I think that's been one of our uh, one of our uh, struggles. But yeah, just just briefly on Odegaard, I think it's I think it's important to, to recognize that, especially at the beginning of the season, there was a kind of a, a sense that, oh, Odegaard's shooting too much and he's not getting into the same positions. Players, you know, clearly there has been an adaptation. It's important to go back and look at that and then also look forward and think now at players that we think, oh, why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? It's often because they're being asked to do something slightly different, slightly out of the comfort zone. And actually, I remember, I think it was about a year ago, maybe six months ago, Arteta said what we're doing now on the training ground with Odegaard will show in the game in six months time so you know we've got to try and contextualize these things and remember and not have such short memories it felt like in this game we were maneuvering the block very well you know it was sometimes hmm. back sometimes forwards it was like we were moving them constantly and i think that's sometimes what fans maybe like. back sometimes maybe yeah, forward. I mean, that's that's the whole point is i think fans be waiting for that is that we know we can play this type of football where we kind of you know we're trying and other games where we kind of just pass around the back it felt like we're kind of just waiting for a moment in this game mm. we were creating those moments and i think Odegaard dropping a little bit deeper and getting the feel for the ball allows there's an opportunity now for arsenal to you know use more of a number 10 profile now of course in this game it was trossard who could have easily scored by the way and i think that's the idea now is to have that trossard have its profile who is very good at ghosting in the spaces and actually have a better mm. finisher than Odegaard naturally and i think that's what we can see now we're going to see more trademark things like oh this is the trademark Odegaard goal You've got the trademark sucker cross to the far post. Now you're going to get soon the trademark Havertz goal at that far post. It feels like things are starting to click going forwards. But defensively, there is a player that for me actually has had a surprise impact going forwards. Takahiro Tomiyasu. So we need to talk about yep. him. The movement in the mm-hmm. final third, Alex, is pretty damn good. Yeah, he's he's tucking in really well. I think he, consistently he was sat just on the edge of the box 
um, uh, you know, basically waiting for that wall pass inside. And I think he, I think the Saka goal basically comes from that. Um, but he does it a number of times over the game. Look, you know, Mikel said it himself, you know, Tommy Asu has a lot of room to develop in that, in that phase. I think his mobility is, is, has often been a problem, but now we're seeing the, the intelligence that Tommy Asu shows in the defensive third, really showing in the final third, knowing again, when, knowing when to overlap. It's not just overlap every single time. It's going actually, okay, there's a space here. Now I'm going to move into it. Or maybe I've recognized a situation where it's a little bit crowded in the box. Can I, can I move some space away for, for Saka to, to exploit, you know, so understanding when, when to do that is, is, is not always easy. It's not a completely exact science. I think that what's exciting again, you know, talking about new dimensions in a player with Erdegaard is watching a player develop in front of your eyes. We're all seeing it. We're watching Tomiyasu do something we have not seen him do before, which tells you that the coaching is working, which tells you that the talent ID is working because it shows you that they saw something that we couldn't see, or certainly I couldn't see, and went, right, okay, we can get him to that point by implementing these things on the, on the training ground. Um, yeah, and I said on our on our instant reaction that um, it's the first time that Ben White has been not necessarily... It's not that, you know, we've, we've, pl- we've played without Ben White before, uh, you know, against, uh, I think it was Man City at the Emirates last season. You know, he's chosen not to use Ben White, but not for extended periods of time and not seemingly in without sort of really obvious tactical reasons. This is the third game in a row, Thomas, who started. It sounds like he wants to start him against Luton. I'm not casting any judgments early and I'm not saying that I want to sell Ben White, but I'm saying that there's an. it's interesting to me that for the first time in Ben White's Arsenal career, there's some real competition. You know, he, you could argue it's a fitness thing, but I think basically unless Ben White has one leg, he's playing most of the time, or he has certainly the last three years. And one, it's exciting that we have a different option in Tomiyasu, but two, it's interesting that Arteta, I think for the first time really over a run of games, has been willing to sit Ben White down. I, you know, he's playing 45 minutes, so he's clearly fit enough to to, to, to play some part. And usually Ben White has been just forced on to play. Um, so yeah, something something to look at there. Yeah, I feel like with Tommy Asu, it's not just a matter of he's got the ability, he's got confidence now in his body. So it's how before he'd get into the position, but he wouldn't demand the ball because he was scared that if he received yeah. the ball, he might he might make a mistake. Now he's in those areas, of the, those pockets of the pitch in that final third, and he's actually demanding the ball to make things happen. And I think he's now got mm-hmm. four goal contributions this season, three in his last mm-hmm. two games. You know, this is a player that's growing in confidence and hopefully that injury isn't serious. Mikel talked about it not being a serious injury and it being more of a, yep. you know, him, you know, re- trying, to, trying to save him for now. But um, mm-hmm. right now, I, I, I do believe that Tommy Atty is a starter over Ben White because yep. as great as Ben White is as a player, Tommy is offering Arsenal more going forwards, which I know for whatever I say, because at times in this game, I think if you notice, he was actually playing, he was moving everywhere, like he'd be up down the middle at times. So he's almost Mikel's surprise, surprise weapon going forwards because Mm. he realises that the players marking him is a a winger and most wingers don't want to track back into their box anyways. So Mm. if you just run all over the pitch, he's not going to track you and you're going to have a, a man available. So it's it's clever. And I felt what Mikel's doing now is he's, he's finding different ways to impact the final third outside of our attackers. So you can mm. see Rice entering the final third. You can see Tomiyasu, even Zinchenko got, getting assist in this game, entering that final yeah. third. It's about surprise of the opposition now because they realise that, you know, we've already got our attackers. Yeah, I think surprise is the right word. And I think, you know, maybe at the beginning of the season it was a little bit stale. The one thing I would say is I don't think we've seen Tomiyasu really up against a, a, a properly resolute defence yet. Yeah, I'd like course. to see him, you know, still open up, um, you know, a, a Man City or something in that role. But look, you know, it's it's exciting that that is, is a real option developing there. And it's not just basically if Ben White can't play, Tommy Asu will go there. You know, that feels like a real option. 
yeah, it's a, it's about being decisive, and I think Tom Ennis's passing is very crisp right now. He sees mm. a pass, he does it straight away, and that pass against Lens over the top was spectacular. Mm. I want to talk about though another player, intentional who, or not. <laughs> I, I would say it's intentional. You give him benefit of doubt. Declan Rice is a very good player. I think you know he's he's a bit decent. Um, uh, let, let's not let's, let's calm down. Let's calm let's, down. You know, but uh, Declan Rice is a player who is in fantastic form, and you know Arsenal fans are in love with him. I want to compare him though to um, his arch nemesis. Let's just say not not on the field. You know, just in terms of us fans comparing the players. Declan Rice versus Rodri. Rodri's recent form has been still very good, by the way. But um, you know, he's picked up a few yellow cards. Rumors next year they might be Simbins. Uh, orange cards, you know, if uh, there's a foul that is blatant, a 10 minute off, you know, maybe that affects Rodri's stocks, but it feels that like Rodri's now starting to get a bit of a name for yellow cards. And initially people forgot about it. But since that, since that, <laughs> no, because what, what it was before he'd get yellow cards, no one would mention it. But since yeah. that red card against Forrest, where he got, you know, sent off for his headbutt or strangle, it feels like now fans are more wary of it. They're going, hang on a minute. This guy is a bit of a bit of a, like a Xhaka reputation right now building. Yep. Rice is yet to receive a single yellow card in the league this season. I'm not saying that's the reason why he's better than Rodri. But looking at his defensive work. Right? No, that's, that is what you're saying. Do you think right now Declan Rice is performing to a higher standard than Rodri? Which is crazy because they're both very good players. <laughs> you, you're going to get me clipped. Um... Look, I, th I, th I think here's what I think. Here's a politician's here's answer, answer for you. <laughs> here's a politician's answer. Look, we all have different strengths, and you know, look, I think in this Arsenal team, Rice is better for what we need, and I think for what City need, Rodri is better. Now, now, if you look at the results of the two teams over the last few games. And you look at the performances over the last few games in terms of form. I think right, like in the last three games, probably Rice has slightly edge, edge, edged uh, Rodri. But I think you know overall, who, who would I rather have? Probably for sample size, I, I'd probably just just take Rodri. But the exciting part is, I thought it was going to take Rice a couple of seasons to get to that level. I didn't think it would take him what till December, you know. So I think we're we're looking at a player who. We all knew his defensive capacity. We all knew about the anticipation. We all knew that he can spot a pass about 10 seconds before everyone else on the pitch. This supernatural behavior. What we didn't know was about his switches, was about his through balls, was about his reverse passes, was about his breaking the lines, was about the contribution he can have in the final third. And by the way, and that's, well, more second phase. I think in the final third, he had a few shots from the edge of the box against Wolves. I think we are still waiting to see another level to Rice's game where he can contribute by arriving late, by shooting from the edge of the box, by being more involved in set pieces. I think we've got so much to do. So it's so exciting because Rice is, I think the last three games has been a bit better than Rodri in terms of in terms of form. And maybe, you know, City fans might watch this and say you're celebrating nothing really. It's just a couple of games. But actually that's exciting because to me, I thought he was, I thought he was permanently going to be there because Rodri hits that level so well. So yeah, I, I look, I don't I can't I can't tell you. I mean, Enzo Fernandez literally said, I learn off Declan Rice. And there's still people who are kind of saying he's not in that in that in that in that category. And I think it's ridiculous. I think what's exciting is how quickly he's got there in my mind, certainly. I would not swap Declan Rice for Rodri. I wouldn't. And I, not and for I, this Arsenal team, no. That's, why, that's the thing I'm going to say. You're perfectly right there because of his defensive work rate. That ability to close distances, the clean tackles, they're, also, they're almost satisfying as goals at times because if mm. he's one of the only players in the league that can do that consistently. He's a very, very springy player. And that power 
is something that Rodri's not blessed with. Very good, very smart player, Rodri. Very good player, very good player on the ball. But I think that thing that Rice has that Rodri doesn't have is why I edge Rod Rice over Rodri mm -hmm. in terms of this Arsenal team because he's got that yep. defensive ability that Rodri just can't. He can't develop power, can he? Right. And on the ball ability, Rice is growing to the standard where that will eventually get to a closer gap than Rice's defensive work rate or Rodri's defensive work rate. So it mm -hmm. is, it's, it's a nice bit to have. But Arsenal are on the market for a new midfielder. There has been a surprise link, Alex. João Paulini. Mm. Talk to me. Mm. Is he a player that you think Arsenal should be signing? Thanks for checking out the Canon Podcast. To hear the full episode, sign up as a YouTube member on this channel or go to patreon.com forward slash the Pod. Sports Social Podcast Network.